Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, we're growing organically with Kevin Miller, co-founder and CEO of Grow, a fast-growing SEO company focused on helping D2C brands succeed with SEO. Today, we talked about why you shouldn't quit SEO too early and how to create a plan and a goal you can stick with. Uh, We talked about how to approach high competition keywords, as well as the incredible opportunities that you can find uh, when you use secondary or tertiary uh, keywords, and you'll consider a really interesting OnlyFans angle that I came up with, uh, as well as Kevin's simple three-pronged approach to generate press backlinks, uh, as well as why we don't need to worry as much about Google's organic algorithm changing the game these days. I hope you enjoy this one. I know SEO is on the mind of a lot of D2C entrepreneurs, so I hope this one can be helpful. On with the show. to start an e-commerce brand with you today, Eric, that sold protein powder, I'll never rank, at least for a year, on page one for the term protein powder. It's too competitive. So what I would do is I would use a keyword research tool and I would look at all the questions that are related to protein powder. What is protein powder? When do I use it? What dose should I use it in? How long does it take for a protein powder to work? I would answer each of those questions in a 1500 word blog post. And I would internally link to my homepage that's optimized for protein. That's how you would build up the topical authority that like, hey, Google, I'm letting you know I'm selling protein powder and I'm a knowledge base for every single question on the internet about the parent topic of protein. You should consider ranking me over time for my parent keyword, which is protein powder. Hey retailers, ever feel like your shopper experience feels just like everyone else's? Here's an idea. Put your shopper first with the only personalization platform that is purpose-built for retailers. Bluecore combines retail data and predictive intelligence to match online shoppers with the products they will buy next across channels like email, site, paid media, social, and SMS. Automate and scale your personalized content offers and recommendations for each shopper in a one-on-one individualized experience. Visit bluecore.com to see why brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss have gone shopper first to drive repeat purchases and increase customer lifetime value. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Kevin. Can you start by telling me what most e-commerce brands get wrong about SEO? Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me on, Eric. I appreciate you for having me. Uh, The question is, what do most e-commerce brands get wrong about SEO? Well, I think that most of them get a wrong idea as to how long it takes for it to work and how much they should really, how long they should be committing to investing in it. So what they get wrong is they invest in it for a month or two months or three months and then they abandon the channel and they never come back to it because they think that it didn't work. When in reality, it was probably just about to work. I think of the analogy of kind of something similar to an iceberg coming out of the water. They're building up, they're getting closer, closer, closer to the top of the water and then it peaks through. But that peaking through you know, that might not happen for 12 months after uh, someone got started from scratch, especially if they're starting with a brand new domain that, that you know, just launched. Uh, and you think a lot of people kind of turn away before it kind of gains enough momentum to kind of peek through. Yes, and I think that they most likely, if they knew the right place to look, they would see that they are having some success underneath the, the water, if you will, but they just need to give it a little more time. So the success underneath the water, just so anyone listening, that's impressions. The first thing you'll see when you publish content or you get written up in the news is you'll see that over time your website is starting to show up for more keywords yesterday than it did before yes, the day before yesterday. 
And that's how you measure if what you're doing is actually going to come to fruition is going to be valuable at some point. Because after you have a, you know a certain threshold of impressions, you will then start to get clicks. Oh, that's interesting. It's a leading inventory that you're just being shown in the results. It's a leading indicator. Yep. So you might rank number 10 for something, but most people don't search and don't click on the 10th result. So you might be getting, you know, uh, uh, tens or hundreds, thousands of impressions, but zero clicks. And then if you keep, you know, keep going, keep going, that listing where you rank number 10 will move up to number four. You'll start to get clicks on a daily basis. So if you've got a core, you know, term that you're going after as, as an e-commerce brand and say it's a highly competitive term, are you uh, advising people to start building out their plan to attack those words right away so that they can work on it for 12 months or so? Or are you suggesting that they find keywords that are more along the edges of what they're looking for that have lower competition that they can tackle first? Great question. The answer is the latter. So I'll give an example that I feel like is pretty tangible for people to understand. And that would be if I was to start an e-commerce brand with you today, Eric, that sold protein powder and I launched the website today, I'll never rank at least for a year on page one for the term protein powder. It's too too competitive and I have no history with Google. So what I would do is I would use a, a keyword research tool like SEMrush or Ahrefs or KW Finder and I would look at all the questions that are related to protein powder in order of frequency with which they are searched. So, you know, from my own keyword research doing this, I know that some of the questions are, what is protein powder and when do I use it? What dose should I use it in? How long does it take for a protein powder to work? How much protein do I need if I'm a male over 30? How much protein do I need if I'm a female over 30? Right, things like that. I would answer each of those questions as long as they are unique and distinct in a 1500 word blog post. And I would internally link to my homepage that's optimized for protein. And I would say the, the title tag of my homepage would be Kevin and Eric's company colon protein powder direct to your door. So that's how you would build up the topical authority that like, hey, Google, I'm letting you know that I'm selling protein powder and I'm a knowledge base for every single question on the internet about protein, about the parent topic of protein. You should consider ranking me over time for my parent keyword, which is protein powder. But then beyond, so you've written this one comprehensive piece, but we're talking over a year long strategy. So what do you do then over that? If you've answered all those main questions about protein powder, in your first article, do you have to continue to expound on those core topics or do you just have to really branch out and create sort of a spider web? Well, each of those smaller topics is one article. So we're talking, ideally you would write 100 articles. So what is protein powder and what are its benefits? That's one article. How long does it take for protein powder to work? That's article number two. So, and this is very easy to identify in Ahrefs. It'll show individual phrases each one of those phrases is, is a full article, yeah. And then, okay, so so this is hundreds of articles over that course of time. We're starting with this, this well, in this case, that's a pretty competitive keyword. You're still gonna look for those those angles in. The, the, the one that I find most interesting, I, I was using SE, uh, SEM Rush the, the other day, and I was looking at one of our competitors who focuses on influencer marketing. And I saw that, you know, like sort of a newsletter media company, essentially. And I saw that they were getting over something like 600,000 organic impressions, according to to SEM Rush. And I looked into it and they had a lot of branded impressions, but then they also had a ton of impressions on the keyword OnlyFans. 
And I thought that was so interesting because that's one of those keywords that unless you have a brand that can bridge it, you'd probably want to stay away from it. But in their case, they're focused so heavily on influencer marketing. So they're looking at people who want to know about whether, you know, what their options are like, oh, I could become an influencer or I could go on OnlyFans kind of thing. And they found a really great keyword that not a lot of people could rank for that actually was hyper effective at bringing a large amount of people onto their page and into their traffic. I wanted to know if you had any any good examples of companies who've done things like that. Well, that's that's genius. It's also very opportunistic because, like you said, you have to be in a spot where they, they, their viewpoint internally could have easily been that they want to avoid that at all costs, and you know they chose not to. It, it turned out to be something they can use. The reason they benefit from that is there's a million people a month who search for the term OnlyFans because it's just become so popular. And so they can piggyback off of that branded traffic. They probably wrote an article that said like OnlyFans versus, you know, the name of that company, which is probably how they were able to rank for it. Other examples of that, you know, I don't have many. The only, I built a website called thewordcounter.com, which is an English grammar blog. And my goal was to rank number one for the term word counter because that gets a million and a half visitors a month. So that's kind of an example. Like I, I actually employed that strategy myself. But it was a bit, it wasn't based on a competitor name. It was more of like like an industry, like a tool that I saw. There was opportunity on Google for that tool. I love it, and it's similar to us actually as well. There's one of the keywords we're looking at is Facebook Ads Library, and it's a great keyword because it qualifies people as someone they need to know enough about Facebook Ads to know that there's a library, to know that they might be looking at competition. But most people are just looking for the library, uh, so it could be dangerous. But if we were to create a comprehensive guide to getting the most out of the Facebook library, uh, there's pro and it, you know it's very low comp competition. That's probably one of those sort of like tangent keywords that we could maybe piggyback on. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And depending on how old your website is and how authoritative it is, you know, the more that's how you direct which keywords you're going to actually go after. But if it's a brand new website, you got to stick with stuff that's simple and and has a, you know, keyword difficulty of zero to ten. You know, that's in that green section in Ahrefs because otherwise there's going to be too much competition and you'll never you'll never rank on page one for that term. So you advise going after these these sort of secondary, uh, you know, outside tertiary keywords, and do you eventually build an attack to go towards those main ones that'll really drive the brand? Yeah, you definitely build an attack to, to to you know go after those main ones. The main ones need to be in the title tag of your homepage. That's the most important. If there's one thing that indicates to Google what you're selling, it's going to be that. So for example, Zillow, their title tag is you know houses, apartments for sale apartments for rent, something of that, something in that nature. That's what they want to be known for. That, that's what they're, you know, that that's their thing. So that's how I think about it for most of our brands that we work with is we try to identify a powerful, you know, marquee tagline that gets a lot of searches. So, you know, we've talked a lot about content and sort of a content approach for, for SEO, but beyond sort of content, what do you think are some other like overlooked factors in the SEO formula? Well, going off of my last point, I think one of the things that gets overlooked is on-page optimization. And what that means is, in layman's terms, every web page on the internet has a title tag and it has a heading one. And each of those need to be unique and they need to be descriptive of what you're selling on your page. It's most important for product pages and, and collection pages. So for example, we work with a client that's called the Reformation. I don't expect you to know them, Eric, but every female in the world does. It's like a very popular women's, you know, dress company. So they sell 
red dresses, wedding dresses, floral dresses, things like that. And the title tags of that, you know, need to be, you know, floral dresses for like a specific occasion, Easter Sunday, you know, or red dresses for whatever it is. And the title tag needs to be red dresses for women. It just needs to be very clear what those are, so, you know, what, what is being sold on that site. Most websites on the internet have duplicates. You don't want these the these things to be duplicative, um, and you want you know, oftentimes like you know, different developers work at a company, things just get jumbled around. That's the biggest easiest mistake that some people would make, is that they just don't clearly tell Google what they're selling. So if that gets fixed, you can often rank pretty well. I, when we were when we were just starting our SEO journey, we I went to a friend and had him look at things, and I, I was like, "Pretend I'm a five year old, and you know, don't underestimate how little I know about SEO, and tell me what I need to do for this page." He's like, "I oh, should probably update the title tags." I'm like, yep. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and it's very simple, very easy. Yeah. Um, you know, one example is we're we're working with a friend of mine who, who I think is going to start this month, and um, he sells a dog leash, and so. His title tag said Lifetime Leash, and that's the brandable name that he chose. It's a great, great name for the brand. However, if I'm a dog owner and I need a leash for my dog, I'm not going to type in Lifetime Leash. I'm probably going to type in Dog Leash and go from there. And so his title tag should have been Dog Leash, comma, like for this type of dog. You know, dogs under 30 pounds, dogs over 30 pounds, whatever it might be. So it needs to be an exact match of what someone would type into Google if they didn't have any idea what your brand does. And it has to meet them kind of where they are on their on their journey, exactly what they're looking for. That makes sense. You, you, your preference, you're like, oh, I'm a brand. I'll put my brand first there. But that again, m most people aren't brand aware of startup brands. Exactly. They're not brand aware of startup brands. You know, I my own title tag for grow.com should be direct to consumer e-commerce SEO. That's, that's squarely what we do. 92% of our clients are that. I haven't done that because I have a hope that we will also be able to service enterprise and like technology startups as well, which we is the other 8%. But if I wanted my title tag to be perfectly, yes, uh, right now it just says digital marketing and SEO services, but a perfect optimization would be D to C e-commerce SEO because that's what we do. That's our bread and butter. That's what I want to rank for, you know? I think it would be smart, especially considering probably how many D2C and e-commerce brands are currently casting their thoughts to SEO, right? Yeah. Like with yeah. so much happening with iOS 14 and rising, co rising costs of everything, um, yeah, this ability to create a steady stream of organic traffic is so attractive. Are you just see? Are you seeing it kind of blow up in the space right now? We're see yeah, we're seeing that a lot of people are willing to give us more budget to experiment versus having it all go to Facebook and Google and TikTok. It's it's such a it's funny. I'm working with my partner right now is this longtime performance marketer and it's always it's it's a hard sell where you where you're so used to putting uh, putting money in, pushing a button and having sales come out the other side, convincing people that you're going to invest in this 12 week iceberg or 12, 12 month potentially iceberg, you know, sort of situation. It can be a tough sell for people, but I think, I think people are starting to get it. Yeah. And it can be a tough sell. And I totally understand that. I just, I hope that we have enough case studies and like ability to prove that like, you know, this strategy really is the right one. And I hope other SEO companies who we compete with do the same because it's been around since, since you know, the invention of Google and it really does work and it could be an amazing channel for people. It just needs to be done right. So 
the way we think about it being done right is just very basic, which is it really is just three things. P writing articles that answer questions to what people are asking about your product or your service and answering them so that you can be the answer to that question. That's That would be number one. Number two would be getting featured in the news, whether you hire a PR firm or you use you know, help a reporter out, which is something we use at our company, or any, by any means necessary, just getting a, in the news and getting a backlink to your website, that's critical. And then the third is on-page optimization, which we previously discussed, and that's it. Like, that's an SEO strategy that is works for e-commerce really, really well. It's just those three things and making sure you do those things well. You know, we try not to overcomplicate it. I love it. And I think you were, you were specific there, you know, in the old world of SEO, this idea of backlinks and, you know, used to be able to buy backlinks and, you know, find other webmasters and this and that. You kind of short circuited that and like, don't screw around with that. Go right to the, the press who, who has all this kind of credibility, right? Yeah, you can't buy backlinks anymore. It's against Google's webmaster guidelines. There's tons of people who do, trust me. But um, Google knows, you know, they, they, they're able to identify. Anyone who thinks that they're smarter than Google, I would, I would probably disagree. You know, because um, they probably wouldn't be working anymore, myself included. So I try to like encourage people to do press releases because press releases, even though they're no follow backlinks, they still um, get noticed by Google. And in my mind, legitimate companies who have things to announce that are n newsworthy, they do press releases and there's no reason DTC companies shouldn't as well. And then, yeah, we just hired a PR firm for the first time. So even we do it. You know, we want to get written up in publications we can't get on our own. We know that backlinks are important. We're going to do the same thing at our company where we're starting to publish SEO topics. People want to know, how long will it take for my content to rank? How do I do this? How do I do that? Similar questions to what you're asking now. We're going to start answering them too. But for the past two years, we've just been getting hits in the press as many places as we can to build up that strength, that domain authority, that trust with Google. I love it. You're going to eat your own dog food, which is something as all marketers we have to do. And we already have with that other website. We put at least $200,000 into this grammar website that we own. And it's got over a million unique visitors a month with our exact strategy that we sell to clients. We all know how tough the past 12 months have been with supply chain and marketing costs rapidly rising. Ecom World is your secret weapon to help your brand get back on track and make this year your best year ever. Ecom World is hosting an online event that will arm you with the strategies you need to grow your D2C brand profitably. Meet experts like Kellen Fitzgerald, head of Ecom at Glow Recipe, and Davey Fogarty, CEO of The Udi, as well as 80 other Ecom experts who are paving the way in D2C. Get their step-by-step -step strategies to optimize the growth of your Ecom brand right now. D2C listeners receive 30% off the ticket price, so head over to ecomworldconference.com DTC to get your ticket now. That's ecomworldconference.com slash DTC. I wanted to ask a bit about uh, info architecture because what we're talking about is sort of organizing things that answer questions for people and, and it also sort of satisfies the, uh, you know, the algorithm side of things. But does it matter a ton where this information is on your site? Can, can each of these just be blog posts on your site or does it require more thought to where this content lives? Well, everything that we've been discussing today should all be in individual blog posts on your website. So, you know, this this uh, podcast is done with by Riverside, so the, the URL structure should be riverside.fm slash blog. And then the actual blog post would be riverside.fm slash blog slash what is protein powder. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? That's how it should be nested and set up from an organizational perspective. But yeah, some people answer some questions on PDPs and collection pages and on the homepage. That's all great. But the, the, the rule of thumb is really that there's usually one marquee keyword in, or set of keywords that can rank per web page. So if you have a bunch of copy on your homepage and you have a protein powder D2C startup, all that supporting content is all just helping it rank for the term protein powder and all the other, you know, very closely related terms to protein powder. So I just try to think about one net new keyword per page. Do you have any advice for ways uh, that SEO can help podcasts grow? Asking for a friend. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I don't know if I do have anything that I can that I have off the top of my head. Yeah, the one thing that was advised to me that I think is really good, I'll just mention here, was when it links to what you said, which is like I could, I could start going to these podcast guests that I get who are building amazing businesses in these cities throughout the U.S., Canada, wherever, and I could go to like the local newspaper or, or media around where that person lives and say, hey, I'm doing a highlight on a great local entrepreneur. Uh, and that would be a way that I could get, you know, a lot of links to to the content from these reliable sources. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Yep. I got to do it. You could do a press release for, for you know, like big people who come on um, and you could have it linked to your – do you also have a link on Apple Podcasts? Yep. So that's – like you, you also have a title tag that you can choose for your Apple Podcast page and – the other pages where you have your podcast hosted. So I would make sure that says, you know, D to C podcast. That's like what I would, that I would make sure that's like the main focus of it. And then you could announce, you know, that you are doing a podcast with so-and-so here it is, here's here. It's live. So that would be one example too, but I will also take that as a homework assignment and see what I can give you after the call too. Cause I'm, I'm also curious to learn more about how I'd attack that problem, but that's what I have off the top of my head. Love it. So I was list, I was actually talking to another SEO <coughs> guy the other day, and he was saying that one of their top clients, a lawyer firm, uh, was spending somewhere in the neighborhood of forty thousand a month on uh, on content on 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 content to kind of really play in these hyper competitive spaces. What what do you what are you seeing in terms of ROI for the clients that you're working with in the SEO space at scale, like over time? Once the plan once the iceberg is fully unearthed. Great question. Okay, so here's how we measure it. So the first thing we need to know is how much revenue someone gets from a transaction um, for whatever they're selling. So in that case, in that uh, law example, I'd want to know how much revenue or profit they're making per case. And in Google Analytics, you can track how much organic revenue is coming in the day you begin the SEO campaign or the SEO work. And then let's say it's ten thousand dollars. That's how, the way I measure ROI is just look at how much revenue is coming through or through the organic channel 12 months later or six months later, whatever timeline you and I would like to set. And then what happens is because that traffic is organic, it's going to come back every month in perpetuity. So will that revenue. So then you're not only making a hundred thousand dollars in one month, it's a hundred months, it's a hundred K ideally in perpetuity every single month after that. So that's how I think about the return on investment. Um, and you know, with our brands, we try to make sure that if someone's paying us ten thousand dollars a month, we can give them three times their, their return on ad spend by the six month mark. That's like our a very conservative thing. We know we can hit most more often than not. 
I remember back, so I've been in the industry a long time and I actually started on uh, what was called Google AdWords at the time in before 2010, let's just say. And, uh, and I remember that so many times people would be talking like, or even on our campaigns on the paid side, an algorithm change would come through and our, you know, we'd get kind of wiped out. And I remember, I forget when, what, how they were timed, but there were also, there's these big, there used to be these big sweeping algorithm changes on the content side. And then sometimes people would find themselves on the wrong side of it and they lose all their traffic. Has the algorithm, does that still happen or has the algorithm evolved to the point where it's not going to be that abrupt for people? I think it has evolved to where it's not going to be that abrupt for people. It does still happen, but it's not nearly as dramatic. I also think that less people are cheating. I think that, you know, after that happens and your whole business gets wiped out, most people don't dare to do it again. And by do it, I mean buy backlinks that they know are not, you know, acceptable in the eyes of Google. So I think those bad actors just said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm putting my hands up. I'm going to go do something else. So I think it's a combination of things. But no, I haven't seen a nuclear, you know, rollout since, yeah, probably 20, 2012, 2013, 2014. I like it. Well, here's to keeping the nuclear rollouts uh, under wraps. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. Anytime you're talking about tricking the algorithm or hacking this or doing that, like, as you know, Google is, is what, like a... 30-year-old company now, their algorithm, their, their AI has been uh, just getting smarter and smarter year over year. So that ability to trick it is is not there. And you just have to support the user, create a great user experience, great content for them. And really, I, I like how you've simplified it down to, to really focusing on PR for e-commerce brands to get that backlinking. Uh, and so what are people looking for? Like, you obviously want as many PR hits as possible. But I know with backlinks, you know, you're trying to rapidly accumulate links. Are you suggesting doing, a, you know, press releases every week? Like what, what does the cadence for backlinking look like at scale? Good question. I suggest for any D2C brand, I suggest doing one press release per month. I also suggest using this service. We, we, people pay us to do it for them, but it's called helperreporter.com. And that's where you can see every journalist query that comes out from major networks on a daily basis. They send three emails a day. It's, it's a, it's a free service and you can skim the email and you can see which of these queries um, you know, most relates to your business. So journalists will, will say, hey, I'm writing on these 300 stories uh, in a given day, believe it or not. And you'll be able to say, yep, I'm an expert. I can answer that question better than anyone else. And then the name of the game is to respond to them as fast as you can with your answer, a bio, a headshot, and get that answer out to the journalists and hope that it's of high quality enough that you're going to get selected. If you get selected, they will feature you in your article. And as a thanks, they'll give you a do follow back link to your company's homepage. That's fantastic. So doing that as much as possible is the key. Like if I was to start a DTC brand today, I would have someone on my team responding to 10 journalist queries per business day, 50 a week, 200 a month. And that would be a really, I, I, that I've seen that, you know, we, we, have, we offer a do it for you service like that, where we give brands a copywriter and they respond on behalf of CEOs and founders and heads of marketing. And that, those are the two things that I would do is the press releases and the reporter outreach. If you have the money, I would also hire a PR firm. That's what we do. So, you know, we do those three things at Grow. We do press releases, we do the Haro stuff, and we hire a PR firm. So I, I can only give you the advice of things we do. Love it. Cool. Any other final words for, uh, for our D2C listeners who are, are, you know, thinking about investing more and more about SEO given the state of the world? I would say make sure that if you do invest in SEO, you you come at it with from a place where you feel like you can really do a good job with the writing. So find a writer that 
you have on your team that you feel really understands how to speak to your audience and make sure that they write thorough articles. You know, the articles really need to be 12 to 1500 words in length to, to adequately explain a topic in a way that's robust enough and thorough enough to earn the top spot on Google. So I just, I would just implore D2C brand owners to not like half-ass it, if you will, you know, go into it with all the resources, you know, with the right expectations of how much time you think it'll take to work and really give it a shot before quitting. Like don't bail too early. Um, and I, that's kind of what I would, what I would say. If you're hiring an agency, be the D2C owner that's really on top of it. You know, make sure you get the most out of your agency and you get the most for your spend. I, I think your first point too, is just about the quality of the content. This is something that we're, we're kind of running into right now. So we're, We've got, uh, you know, these writers that we work with on these unique pieces that go in all of our newsletters. Then on the SEO side of it, we're kind of creating briefs around the topics that we want to go after. And I'm looking at the articles that are in our competitor space that have kind of already written about the topics we want to write on. And they're great pieces where they have lots of it. And the thing is, we can't come to the table with content that's worse. We would have to be able to put our own unique spin on it, make it, make it you know, still have all the on-page SEO that we need, but make the content really worthwhile for people as well. And not to just view it as like, a, oh, we'll just put a bunch of keywords on a page or, you know, we'll get the bare minimum done with the content. Like people come to us for our content. So we know that even though it's got an SEO focus, we've got to put the work in and make sure it's in our brand voice and, and sounds great and adds value to the user. Yep. Yep. Completely agree with that. So if people want to know more about you and grow, they can go to gr0.com. Is that what it is? Yep. Correct. They can also go to my personal website, which is kevinmiller.com. Well, thanks for coming on the D2C podcast today, Kim. We'll have to stay in touch. Uh, make sure you reach back out when you got a few more ideas on how I can help uh, take this podcast to the moon. I will, I will. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C podcast. We'll see you next time.